And welcome to another Round the Rotary podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And uh, I, would, I need to say that Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants. CPC specializes in project engineering and well site supervision in all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And with us in the studio today, we got Zane Foster, the director of business, the director of business development North America at Innovate Upstream. How you doing today, Zane? I'm doing well, JP. Yeah. So you uh, drove in from uh, San Angelo. I today. did. I did the short six hour trip here just for you. Just for this. No other reason. No other business in Houston. Well, I may have had a few to do this. <laughs> just to do the number one oil and gas podcast <clears throat> per my wife today here in the studio. Yeah, that's really? it, man. That's it. Well, I had a few other things on the calendar, but. Not this, as important as this. Absolutely not. That's right. So, Zane, first off, man, thanks for coming in today, man. I appreciate this. I know that actually it was funny. You and I met previously. We did. We met right before the uh, COVID quarantine in March, actually the beginning of March at this, uh, what was it, the IADC? SPE IADC Conference in Galveston. Conference. And we were at the H&P 100-year happy hour that they had at the uh, yeah. San Luis. Yeah. San it wasn't Louis. at San Luis. Yeah, San they, Louis. They, and they throw a good party. Man, I'll tell you what. Whenever I go to San Luis, whether it's good or bad, it's always a good time. You know yeah, what I mean? It's it's always one of those things. Like if it's bad, it's always a good time. It's, still good. it's good. It's it's it's, it's San Luis. Yeah. You can't go wrong with it. It's Galveston. So anyway, Zane, man, look, we let's do what we normally do. Why don't you just kicked off? Kind of uh, give us your little background. Kind of tell us about yourself and kind of where you're at today and uh and all that fun stuff. And then we'll kind of get into it. Actually, we're we're gonna get into it during your background too. So why don't you just kick us off? Where are you from? Good. What would you about? Go. No, man, I'm, I'm from West Texas originally. Uh, I'm back there now. I've had several stops along the way. When I got into sales, professional sales, I moved out to Scottsdale, Arizona, worked for ING, uh, was on uh, a team that sold mutual funds to financial advisors. So that was kind of my cutting my teeth in professional sales, a lot of cold calling. So did you go from Texas, Texas State to... Arizona? I did. Right right after college. Well, so when I graduated, I took a road trip. What did you graduate in? Uh, fi- a degree in finance. Okay. All right. So, yeah, when I graduated from uh, Southwest, Texas State. Well, you I, know what? We, it South- was Southwest when I started, but it was Texas State when I finished, and they asked me what I wanted on my degree. What did you pick? I picked Texas State. Did you really? Yeah, I felt like it was uh, a little more, le- less regional. Right, Southwest Texas. That was the whole reason they changed the school, the name of the school, because it, you know, you're talking about a university that has thirty thousand students. Oh yeah, so it's a big Division One school, but uh, you know, it didn't have the notoriety. It wasn't uh, known as the Harvard of the West, you know, per se. But also, it's also one of the things too. It's like, hey, look, if it's changing to Texas State, like I'm going to have something recognizable on my diploma moving forward. Yeah, was it a good time there? I really I've always heard Texas State is a blast. All five years were amazing. I really enjoyed my time there. Spent a lot of time in Sewell Park, you know, down the river, floating okay. the river, Don's Fish Camp. The library you know, People studying. there from around there. Well, I didn't do a lot of studying when I was there. Were you, you one know? of those guys with school School just came easy to you? No, but I went every day. Okay. So I, I showed up to class. I did not miss class. I always scheduled Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I had long days on Tuesday, Thursday, and I had a, maybe a a night class on Wednesdays, and so I always had Monday through Friday off. See, I never, I never, I always felt guilty if I skipped a class. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit, I'm well, missing something right now. Look, I was very fortunate. My parents, you know, 
you know, paid for me to go to school, and they said the least that you can do, literally the least you can do is just show up every day. Yeah. So I did. So I showed up every day. I took you notes. Set that bar low. You just, just, <laughs> just meet that bar. Well, I studied, and uh, yeah, I got a finance degree. Graduated from there in August of '04. So you first generation oilfield. I am. Me too. I am. Welcome. Yeah, I mean, most of my family, uh, they farm and ranch. Okay. So you took a road trip. I took a road trip after I graduated. I drove from San Angelo to San Diego. Okay. San Why? Di- uh, so I had uh, some family. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Yeah, I, had I think a, I still am, yeah. I had, an, <laughs> I had an uncle that lived in Hobbs, New Mexico, who was a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch. So I spent a few days with, uh, with my Uncle Barry talking about what the opportunities were there. From there, I drove out to Phoenix. I met some friends that uh, I'd gone to high school with. They were a little older than me, but they were living there. And so I stayed there for about a week and just kind of tooled around town. Right. This place, what's going on here. So no plans is a road trip. No, no. I had a crazy story. My grandmother had just passed, and so they had kind of divvied up. You know, everybody got a little bit of cash. Right. Uh, And so I had some money to go on a trip. So I I took it, Phoenix to San Diego. had a buddy who was just getting out of the Marine Corps, so I spent a week there kind of tooling around, stayed with him, looked around San Diego, and then I took off north, drove to Seattle. Took about six weeks on that trip. Um, and I would do camping most of the time. Like, I, it was just my dog. I had a, I had a yellow lab. What was the yellow lab's name? Benson. Okay. Named after Cedric Benson. I was a big Horns fan. So, wait. So, did you, so did you d- take this road trip on an effort to number one, two parts, find yourself and be kind of find what you want to do? I mean, did you want to do something in the finance field after graduating finance? Well, well, that's not an easy question but yeah i mean for the most part i graduated and i went back to the ranch and started working for my dad okay and i spent uh, about six months on the ranch before i realized that that wasn't going to be my life right okay i enjoy doing it i enjoy ranch work working cows cutting calves uh marketing well i attacked my first cow i don't know if you know that on the ranch yeah. around the road with cole thompson so i understand exactly what you're talking about okay. to the detail about ranch <laughs> okay i did it for a weekend well look i enjoy doing it for fun i like doing it on the weekend too but i don't want to do it every day mm-hmm. and so at some point i remember having a conversation with my mom and just said i'm i'm gonna take off and see where I'm going to end up. And so that's how it Kinda started. Cool. Well, like again, man, I was 22, 23 years old. I had a little change in my pocket and I was, you know, footloose and fancy free. I could go where I wanted to. Uh, so, yeah, make it to San Diego. Uh, spend a few days there. Start up the Highway 1 all the way to Seattle. That was about six weeks. And then how was that drive? Amazing. Really? Yeah, man. I camped on the beach a bunch. Uh, I actually... Crazy story. Picked up a hitchhiker on Pismo Beach, gave him a ride to San Francisco. Whoa, because, whoa, whoa. what was his story? Uh, man. Was it a good story? <clears throat> oh, yeah. I kind of feel like, first off, I feel like uh, if you pick up any hitchhiker, it's going to be a good story. So this is how it happened, man. So I pulled on to Pismo Beach. It's like the only beach in California you can drive on. Okay. So I pulled on to the beach in a two-wheel drive Chevrolet pickup and proceeded to make it about 500 yards before I buried it in the sand. Okay. So I'm stuck, and the sun's going down, and there's nobody around to help me out. So that's where I set up camp. So I'm setting up camp, and it's dark. I have my dog, and I'm playing fetch with uh, with Benson, and I see this guy coming up the coastline, you know, kind of where the water's meeting the sand. 
And he goes, hey, is this your campsite? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you mind if I camp with you? This literally is the beginning of every horror movie post-1995. Oh, it Go gets on. better. Right, so get this. So <laughs> the guys, dude, the guy's coming up the beach. I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah, no problem, man. It's dark. I can't see him, his face. I see an outline of a person. He goes, yeah, uh, you mind if I camp with you? I said, no problem. So I keep walking my dog. We come back. I get there. Well, it is uh, a vagabond. Like it's a guy who, it's a homeless gentleman. Okay. Young guy. Yeah, at least probably younger than me at the time. I was 23. Okay, so, so young, young, young fella. All right. So we sit down. He's got a fire going, and he asks me if I want some coffee or some ramen. You know, he's got a, he's making dinner, and I'm like, I can't leave. My truck is buried in the sand. Yeah. All right. So I have nowhere to go. So we sit down and we have a conversation throughout the evening. I had some a uh, few beers. We had some beers, whatever. Talk about life. He was a gentleman from Mississippi who had been around the, the U.S. four times and had some unfortunate circumstances with his family that caused him to leave. But he just decided one day he wanted to hit the road, so he did. So we have dinner, ramen, and some coffee, and we end up going to bed. And I was going to sleep in the bed of my truck that night right. with my dog, you know, Ocean's right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to set up camp or any of this stuff. And so right before we go to bed, I'm kind of getting set up and— we start talking about our family, and he tells me a story about his father was in prison for uh, murder. Okay, and it happened on this very beach Well, on a night like tonight. So naturally, I think, you know, I'm actually going to sleep inside of the pickup tonight. Uh, if you don't mind, nothing to do with you. I'm yeah, just going to yeah. go ahead and sleep inside again, nowhere to go. So I did, and uh, the next morning woke up uh, to, to him like asking. He said, I'm not going to ask you for a ride. But if you're going to San Francisco, can I get a ride? So how far are we from San Francisco? About five hours. Was that on your way? Five hours. Yeah, I was going to Napa. Oh, so this was on your way. It was. I had a friend that was, uh, he's a chef, uh, owns a couple of restaurants in Austin now, but he was working at some restaurants in Napa at the time, and so I was going to meet him. Again, okay. it was just a connection of friends this whole trip, right? Like uh, New Mexico, uh, Phoenix, San Diego, uh, Napa, where Andrew was, and then I had a friend who lived in Olympia, Washington, so I was going up that way to Seattle. So a little lily padding. Yeah, for sure. But in the meantime, I was camping, right. fishing, right. hanging out, you know, having a good time. And so the guy says, I'm not going to ask you for a ride, but if you're going to San Francisco, can I get a ride? Okay. And I'm like, well, let me check out the map, because I hadn't told him where I was going yet at that point. So I said, sure, man. Hop in. Cool. You know, so he hops in the car. uh, we take off five hours. Of course, when we get there, he wants to go to Haight-Ashbury. So I take him there. He said he'd had a premonition. He was going to meet his wife there. Well, first off, five hours in a car with anybody is difficult. I don't care if it's – look, Monica, if you're listening, I love you. Five hours is difficult with anybody mm-hmm. close proximity. And the fact you're picking this guy up, this vagabond, and, which is a nice old-school term. I, I, I kind of see this guy, and you're saying, yeah, I'll give you a ride. Hop in. Let's go. Yeah, man. I and, like that, dude. Well – at the time, I didn't think twice about it. And on the way, I called my folks, you know, yeah. like just to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Big mistake, right? Called my mom, and I'm like, hey, she's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm headed from Pismo Beach up to San Francisco. I picked up a guy there, and I'm going to give him a ride. And she's like, come again? She goes, call me when you get there. So then my dad calls me about a couple hours later, you know, about two hours in. Hey, man, what are you doing? I said, oh, I picked this guy. I'm taking him up here to San Francisco. I'm going to drop him off. And he's like. Call me when you get there. Okay. 
Okay, so they're concerned. So that gives me some concern. But at the same time, I was not threatened by this guy. So is this guy saying anything like he invented the, the, the six-minute workout, the ab workout? No, I won't go into detail about his stories, but it was super crazy. He had been... Well, no, 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 I was just making a, a no, joke. But I, no, but I'm just saying he had been uh, homeless for like four or five years. So he was like well-versed in where to go, like churches and religion and a right. whole bunch of crazy stuff. Well, then he asked me if he can use my phone okay. to call his family. And I'm like, okay. So he does this while we're riding up to San Francisco and proceeds to have the conversation with his mom and his sister who he hasn't talked to in like four years. God. And I'm listening to this stuff on the other end going, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. Holy cow. Man. Yeah. So, you know, he I dropped him off, you know, whatever. When it was all said and done, I gave him 20 bucks, told him to uh, to go find a place to stay and take a shower. You know, but he had a lot of potential and that if he wanted to do something with his life, he could. He told me that he was in the process of writing a book and that I was going to be in that book. I haven't found the book. Or but you know what, though, man? <laughs> I, I think that speaks, I mean, volumes. I think that's such a cool thing. Just like, yeah, sure, sharing a campsite and then helping someone out, giving a ride. I mean, my wife told me this funny story like that, that she was up in Colorado, and one, one of her most memorable days was, I mean, she was walking by, and I guess this homeless person was like, hey, get me a you know, give me a beer. She's like, I'll tell you what, if I buy a beer, I'll get myself one. You got to, you got to hang out with me and enjoy it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And if she's listening, I'm getting the details wrong. But anyway, she's like, I spent the day with that guy and he had the most interesting stories. I mean, it was so interesting to be around this person who just had this wealth of just interesting experiences and stories and, and situations in their life. That's something that she never, or we never have to deal with something like that. No, for sure. And one thing I learned about that com- or through that conversation was, <clears throat> You know, not everybody that uh, chooses to live that way is in a bad spot. Like, it's a, for a lot of people, it's a choice. You know, for him, he was a young man. He could have gone and gotten a job and, and stayed in, uh, I think he was from Oxford, Mississippi, and, and done what his family had done forever. But for him, he had to go do something else. Yeah. And I think maybe he, he probably did at some point. He was seemed to me like a smart kid. He was, again, younger than I was at the time, so 21, 22 and uh, he chose that path, right? For him, he just look. I gave him a ride five hours, like several hundred miles, and he had done that four times. He'd been around the U.S. completely four times, and he was twenty-two. Dude, what a, what an interesting life that guy has. I'm not being serious. Well, you know, again, not for 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 me personally, but at the end of the day, like you never know what people's situations are, so it's really hard to judge uh, people that you see without knowing the story. Because once you learn the story, then you may understand a little bit more about why they chose to you know, to, to live that way or chose that path. And you know what, honestly, Zane, to speak to that too, it's not just so much people that you see that, that are living vast differences than you. You know what I mean? Someone could be an asshole to you at, you know, a, you know, at a Starbucks or wherever it is. And the thing is, though, you kind of want to, you're right. Like you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know what they, what news they just got, what, 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 what they're going through at their house or what might be affecting them. So if someone throws that little callus and all that stuff in your, your general direction, I completely agree that you never know what someone's story is. So don't automatically just kind of, you know, plant it. Oh, they're homeless. They must be a drug addict or they're right. being rude to me at this place. They must be an asshole. No, there, there might be more to that. And they might I'm not, not saying there always is, but no, there, no, there, there they, is. they might just be down on their luck, man. And, and, uh, God forbid that you are one day, right? So you, so you, you, you go about life with just kind of, uh, just, Continue to treat people with kindness regardless because you never know what's kind of their story. 
I think it's really important to be nice. Um, I think it's really important to, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, man, but I think you get out of this life what you put into it. And if you put out more good energy and more good vibes than bad, yeah. I think you get more good than bad in life. So do you think anybody intentionally puts out bad vibes? Or do you think it's a question of people, kind of, this is kind of, we're getting off topic right now, but I kind of like no, this right now. I kind of, I kind of like where we're going down right now because, you know, you always want to, you know, do good, you know, positive vibes only and all that stuff. But at the same time is I don't feel the people out there being assholes understand that they're being assholes. I don't surround myself with assholes. I don't surround myself with assholes either. But I'm, Do you come into contact with them? Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's a part of life, right? But oh, I yeah. think that you do your best to surround yourself with people who uh, are positive and want to do good things. And the more you do that and the more of those people you have around you, I think the better quality of life you can have. Yeah. But that's up to you. You know, at the end of the day, the reality is you can't control other people and how they treat other people. You can only control how you treat people. But, dude, that's also shifting to kind of what you and I were talking about earlier before we got on the podcast. It comes to everything right now. Yeah. You can only control what you can control. Mm -hmm. You can only give a shit about what you you can give a shit about. You know what I mean? For example, it's like, you know, right now I think we're recording this uh, on November 10th. I think the election results just happened. Oh, yeah. I, haven't, yeah. I, I don't even know. Exactly. So what I'm saying is, like, I'm, I'm kind of this tangent here. I did my job. I voted. And that's all I could do in this election, right? Like, that's – so once that was done and the other things started happening, hey, look, I tuned that out, man. I, I, I can't control – Dude, I'm a huge fan of tuning it out. I'm a huge fan of, of controlling what you can't control and not trying to get involved and try to change other people's opinions or perceptions about you. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous these days. There's a lot of it going on, you know. There's a lot of posturing and a lot of uh, a lot of things out there that aren't po- uh, you know, that are negative. And and the reality is, like, we need more people to take the lead and being positive, right? Uh, oh yeah. Understand, there are things in this country that need to be fixed without a doubt. Well, you can talk about it all you want to, or you can actually be a participant and be somebody who wants to go out there and, and help make those changes. That's how I see it. Man, I, I agree. I think my wife and I had a conversation about this. It was kind of one of those things where it's like we're kind of sitting around. We're hearing all this chatter. We're hearing all this noise, all this dividing you know, conversations and these people bitching about this and that, da, 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 you know, about the upcoming president, whoever it is and all that stuff. And I'm thinking in my mind, it's like, look, if these people are so passionate – so passionate to sever relationships, to to chastise, to judge to that extreme, and they care so much about these issues. What are they doing about mm-hmm. them? What, what are they doing besides posting on Facebook or or social media? Or what are they doing besides? Are they getting involved in local charities or local? Probably not. So in that case, I mean, you're just to me, you're just kind of shouting out to an empty void right now, trying to to, to fill that with more. Whatever you call it, campness or yeah, whatever. You're just perpetuating that. Yeah, the exactly. You're perpetuating it. I completely agree with that. So, but, I, but I think, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it, it, everybody has to do their part. And if you're not willing to do your part, then somebody else will. You know, that's, that's the beauty about where we live and the country we live in is that you have the freedom to make choices uh, about how you live your life and how you uh, maybe – contribute to society as a whole, right? That's that's up to each and every one of us. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about the podcast that I, I did uh, with uh, August Fluger, right? The guy that won the, uh, the seat, the congressional seat for yeah. District 11. Yeah. Great guy, man. You look at people like him and Dan Crenshaw, who's a local guy here in, in Houston, 
who I'm, I'm who are trying I'm, to get on the podcast, by the way. Dude, I'm a big fan, and I could maybe reach out to August and see if I could put you in touch. He's he's a super. I'm telling you, August is a great guy. But when you look at somebody who gave their life to military uh, military service for over 20 years, and then leaves that to go into public service, God, like his whole life has been about service. And I think there are there are not better options than people that take that path. Right. The Dan Crenshaws, the August Flugers. There's a gentleman that's uh, out of San Antonio. They had that crazy video uh, on Instagram they released where they're jumping out of planes. Oh, yeah. No, that was a cool Dan's video. Dan's a Navy SEAL. That's actually when I reached out to Dan. I saw that. I was like, I'm, I'm not a political guy, but this is kind of cool. Yeah. I want to talk to this yeah, guy. Yeah, man. So, look, those people are starting to see and, and heed the call, right, of we need better leaders in this country. And so that's where they're, they're, they're volunteering their time again. So if it's not leadership, I mean, you're talking just the people and kind of the leadership roles to kind of take that, you know, the service side of things. I mean, how can everyone, everyone else act who's not taking a leadership role? Look, man, you can support local government, local charities. You know, uh, I think there are some things that uh, you can do for local law enforcement. Uh, there are some things that you can do for, uh, you know, local, just your local municipality, right? That, that affects you more than a national Federal government, a lot of times, right? Amen. That determines the, the taxes that you pay. And, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of things that come into play that I think people overlook quite often that's right there in front of your face. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I, I, I do think uh, it's one of those things that's like, you know, it's such a divided place. What what can you do today? It's, it's one of those things that, number one, get involved in whether it's local governments or whether it's politics or whether it's charities or communities or nonprofits, you know what I mean? Just get, sure. if, if you do care, if you are that passionate where you do want to, you know, cut loose a family or friend, then, then make sure that you have the, the effort behind it versus just saying, Oh, you don't, you don't agree with me. So screw you. You're, you're out. And it generally doesn't take as much effort as most people think. No, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't. It's just taking that first step and then it kind of bleeds that way. Yeah. So anyway, saying great, segue into what you're doing today <laughs> it's actually that was the kind of the worst segue uh but i enjoy that i enjoy that conversation i want to get in more of some of that later but i kind of want to talk to you because you kind of have an interesting story you and i met when you were uh I, you were at a company that was acquired by h&p correct correct mm-hmm. and um during the middle of so it's november now so during the middle of march into november seven months you have left your role at this, at H, was it H? It was. It was H and P to mm-hmm. jump on the not not just a new company. This is a startup company. Yeah, man. Fresh. Talk to me about that, man. Like, like, give me talk to me about that. And I'll, I'll start. I'll start pinging you for questions. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I went to work for a company called Magvar in uh, I guess June of 2017. Okay. Uh, met a guy named Sean Diverse who, you know, has been pretty influential in kind of my thought process and taking advantage of opportunities that are presented. So I met Sean in Midland. We had a conversation. I was working at Payson at the time. Okay. Uh, I left Payson and went to work at Magvar. Um, and and Magvar was a? a? Survey management platform. Okay. So we provided real-time corrections to MWD surveys and then applied magnetic reference values. Exactly. Right. So spacing, well spacing, right, was kind of a, a hot topic at the time, and it just was a really – it was a good time to get into that okay. business at the time. Okay. So we did. So I made that transition. Uh, six months later, we get acquired by H and P, uh, December 2017, and then from then until April uh, of 2020, 
I was selling technology for HPT, HP Technologies, and then I managed a team of uh, four or five guys there for the last probably year that were selling uh, remote drilling, remote directional drilling, okay. and automated drilling technology. Okay. So? So, yeah, man. So then uh, I have a conversation with uh, a friend about, you know, maybe pursuing something outside of uh, of a corporate oil field service company. Well, why is that? Why is that? Man, you know, for me, um, I like to have an impact on what I'm doing. And, you know, I think a lot of times in large organizations, good ideas and really positive uh, solutions can get lost in, in conversation and just with the, the layers of approval that are needed to move forward on certain projects. It kind of gets watered down. or Well, it's gets... just it's not the priority at the time. And there's, you know, a certain uh, business that is providing, right. you know, the capital for that business to be successful. Right. You know, getting outside of that is, is difficult sometimes. And I've personally always uh, preferred to work for small companies. So if you even go back before I got into oil and gas, I worked for, for smaller firms, uh, I like direct access to decision makers. I like to be able to change direction as quickly as possible. Um, I like to be able to make decisions in the best interest of the company and the customer. And a lot of times, the larger the the company, the longer it takes to make that adjustment. No, I agree. I, I get that. I do. So I had uh, you know a conversation with Camilo Mejia, who's the CEO of Innovate Upstream. You know, in early March, you know, right before we met, and. Uh, I was intrigued, uh, but there were clearly some things. So this, so you had a conversation. This was a start up. Yeah, man. Like, like no product before, to sell yet. No product got to market yet. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. No product. Uh, less than twenty employees. Uh, some of those are located in South America and overseas. You know, software development and whatnot. But uh, we had a conversation that went on for a couple of months, and uh, yeah, man, on April 20th, I made the decision to leave my job as a manager at H&P to become the director of business development at Innovate Upstream. So Innovate Upstream, I mean, I kind of want to ask you about that real quick. I mean, before I kind of ask my other question, so what is Innovate Upstream real quick? So it's a software uh, tech company essentially that uses, uh, you know, expertise from the oil and gas industry to create software solutions for oil and gas. Okay. So we have on average, uh, I think it's about 15 years of oil and gas experience, but we use that to create products for... Uh, upstream. So we have uh, production, or I'm sorry, drilling, completions, production, and a BI module. Okay. So, you know, closed loop, essentially we take production information. We start with that. We kind of reverse the workflow, right? So we take a look at production and we try to find out what production drivers are for specific wells. Okay. And then from there, we create a drill plan, essentially, that would allow you to replicate that production. So did you have any idea or uh, a... use of this uh, technology before you decided to plunge in and nope no man i had been <laughs> in drilling my entire career in the oil field so again i've been in sales for 15 years and i've been in uh oil and gas for eight and all eight of those have been specific to drilling okay so when i come in and we have production and completion and bi modules or platforms you know those were all things that i've had to kind of learn 
uh, over the last you know four or five months. And luckily, we have a lot of really, really smart people that are you know very well educated and are more than willing to help educate me on you know different terminologies and processes right. and, and and all the different things that it takes in order to be a reservoir engineer, a completion engineer. So it's a huge, it's a, it's a pretty big learning curve. Oh man, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Drinking from a fire hydrant, yeah. without a doubt. But 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 at the same time, like you know, for me, it was an opportunity to expand my knowledge in the industry. Look, I love working where I, you know in the industry. I, I love working in oil and gas. I like the people. I enjoy the uh, the camaraderie. Uh, so to kind of expand my my knowledge, but also expand my contacts within the industry was something that was intriguing to me too. Oh really? Yeah. So let me. Okay. So let's. I kind of want to pick your mind about this. So. You're at a company. We just when when we met, we just it was their hundred year. You know, I mean, it's an established company, H and P. Great company, great people, great products. 100%. And you decide to take the plunge. Literally, when I think the day when uh, oil went to negative thirty seven dollars a barrel. That is accurate. Is that very confident and cool about the response? I love it. I respect that. Thank you. So you decide to make this jump into a startup technology. Company, correct? Yep. Correct? Okay. I'm getting this so far. Hold on, hold on. All software. All software. Him. A software startup, untested, not known, and you jump in right here in the middle of a pandemic. What is going on in your mind? Well, I didn't know it was the middle of a pandemic. I kind of was thinking. What do you think? We'd, we'd be good. We'd be good by. It. Oh, yeah, you, oh you, know, you were the mind. You, you mind that like things would be. Oh man, things be open up. It'll blow look, over. Yeah, the first hard rain will take care of it. Uh, no, honestly, uh, you know my motto and my kind of outlook on life is, uh, you know, buy a ticket, take the ride. Like, what are we here for? You know, are, are you going to be able to look back at the decisions that you made and be proud of those? Down the road, was I going to be happy with being a producer at a large company that was already a hundred years old? That was already and crushing. They don't need me. Yeah. Look, whether it's me or whether it's someone else, that company goes on. But I had the opportunity to start with a company that was on the ground floor and build something that I felt was 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 worthy and worthwhile to pursue. So, you know. A lot of it has to do with like my daughter. You know, I think about uh, you know all the time I spent away traveling. You know, uh, traveling two days for you know two or three hours worth of meetings right, right. and just different things that didn't necessarily set well with me and being gone as much as I was. But I also didn't think that that was necessarily appropriate all the time, right? So yeah, I felt like if I if she were to come to me and say, "Hey, Dad, like why were you? Why did you miss this?" Right, and I said, "Well, I had a." you know, one hour meeting with HR about this. Like, is that, can you really say that? Is she ever, is she ever going to be okay with that? I don't think so. No. So for me, like looking back at it, it was more like, Hey, I want to do something worthwhile. Like I want to help build something, something that lasts, something that's meaningful and something that can have an impact on the industry. And I'll, I'll put my name on that. And I've always enjoyed what I've done. I've always enjoyed being in sales. Again, I've, Really enjoyed being in the industry for the last eight years, but it's like this is a test to see if you can do it. 
So did you do like a pros and cons about leaving a stable, oh, yeah. comfortable? I mean, what was going on in your mind during this and kind of what was going on in your mind even literally the first, you know, two, three weeks after you made this decision? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to look at a lot of different things. You have to make adjustments in your life. You go from, from you know, uh, a very comfortable position yeah. Yeah. to an uncomfortable position. But again, I think that's where you learn the most about yourself. Right? Like, who are you? You don't learn who you are. You don't learn about yourself in times that are great and are celebratory and hey everything is good and there are no worries it's easy like, then. what happens when the chips are down and you are playing the last hand what decisions do you make then what kind of guy are you you know are you willing to take that risk for me i've always been confident in my ability to the point where look if it works out great if not i'm 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 uh i'll be okay life's going to go on it, it always does yeah it does and so in this situation I felt like what better time to take a risk than at the bottom of the market? Like, can it get worse? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting. You know, not a lot of, not a lot of people think that way. Well, they yeah, better take risks when things are kind of. Uh, you and know. and I mean, I'm not talking shit, but I mean, those are guys that work the same job for twenty fucking years and they're miserable for fifteen. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Life's too short for that. Like I, you know, you know. I honestly, I agree, I agree with that. I agree with that. Everyone, you know, for the longest time, you know, people, you know, uh, you know, uh, chase the next step. You know, I've been listening to this one philosopher, Alan Watts. He's he talks about you know the next step is this, the next step is this, next step. You're always going for that next step, but you're never satisfied. Well, my boy Brad puts it well. He says, uh, "I can always catch a new, another wave, right?" Like, yeah, you know. If you think about it like that and you're in the ocean and things come along, well, you catch a good wave and you ride it until the wave dies. And then there's always something else. Dude, I love your mentality. There's always something else, man. I mean, it's not like nothing is the end-all, be-all. And you know what, honestly, and this isn't speaking of the people out there kind of in the transition and thinking that they should be in the oil field or not, like – if you want to look at the oil field or not, like it's going to be okay. Life's going to go on, and you're going to make it make it work, regardless. There's no choice. There's no choice, and you're and you are going to make it work. But I kind of like your mentality, man. I, I I appreciate that. How is it though, selling a startup company? Because here's the deal. From my experience in sales, I feel that selling technology really takes buy-in. It takes people being convinced. That it's not just, you know, overpriced. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming with selling software, right? There's a lot of sure. he- hesitant decision-making behind jumping in and, buy- and, and and getting new software, you know, such as Innovate or whatever software that is. How is it these days right now talking to talking to customers and talking to people right now about um, new software and potentially trying to, to sell it to them? And I think, I think it's, uh, it's difficult. You know, without a doubt, right? I mean, it's difficult for guys who sell, you know, uh, you know, products that have been used in the industry for decades, yeah. right? Yeah. Drill pipe, mud, you name it, right? It's tough right now. So imagine trying to go into an operator's, well, you can't go in their office, but imagine having a Zoom call with an operator where you're talking about technology and you're talking about artificial intelligence, machine learning. And, you know, I think... It's good AI, though, right? Well, the, the thing about AI and machine learning is those are buzzwords that are being thrown around in the industry right now that I think are w- very overused, right? There are a lot of people that use these terms that actually don't provide that, but they know that that's kind of what the next hot topic like is, right? Data analytics. And, and I think you can get people turned off really quickly if you start talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning because when you 
start talking to someone who is, and just as an example, a petroleum engineer. Well, they're not well versed in machine learning and artificial intelligence. So how do you talk? To, I mean, well, you have to kind of explain the process for one. But again, you don't start with what you do. You start with what they're trying to solve. The reality of the situation is, if you don't have a solution to a problem they're trying to fix, then there's no reason to continue the conversation. You know, but if you do have a solution, well, then maybe you explore that a little deeper. Maybe you get some technical experts from their team. Maybe, okay. that, maybe that's that person. Maybe that's, uh, you know, with the product managers on my team. They have a conversation more in depth about what what exactly they're trying to solve. We're seeing this issue in this zone. We want, you know, we're having trouble with wellbore stability in the lateral. We, we need one, one uh, more one-bit runs in the intermediate. Okay, well, what are you starting to see? You start to have these conversations about the issues and the problems that they're facing and that they're looking to solve. And there's right. a value associated with that. So while they're having the technical conversation, then you determine what the value is of that solution. Uh, and then you, you negotiate that as you go through and prove out the technology. I mean, there's no way that you can say, hey, you know, here's this, you know, product and, and uh, guarantee if you run it, you're going to improve uh, ROP and reduce oh, yeah. days versus depth. Like, don't, I've, I've done were this long. Were, were you over-promise and under-deliver? Oh, man, you always go the other way. I completely agree. 100%. Under-promise, over-deliver. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and, and with only gas, you undercharge and over-deliver, at least in the beginning, right? Like, right. that's kind of how you build your rapport and your reputation. So, you know, that's it's not been easy, but I feel like right now people are open to having conversations. And I think it's important to have these conversations now when people have time. And there's, look, just because there are fewer people, there are no fewer projects, Right. There's the same amount of work to be done within okay. an operator or an organization, whether it's on production or completions. They're still working on design, you know, geometric or, uh, uh, you know, there's a ton of different things that people are, are, are looking into right. to improve efficiencies and get better. Right. And that's on the reservoir engineering side when you look at production drivers. Uh, again, on the completion side, when you look at different types of completion designs, whether it's engineered or geometric or on the drilling side, ROP optimization has been a big, a big topic for quite some time. But I think that you can also take a look at different things like consistency and production, because at the end of the day, the reality is we're trying to maximize EUR, right? You're trying to get as much oil out of the ground as right. you can. Yeah. So. If you're talking to somebody at an op or yeah an operator and you say look I can reduce your you know days versus death by 10 20% whatever so that's a day okay cool what's that 50 60 70 grand maybe you're talking rig personnel housing everything else yeah or what if you could potentially stay in zone 10% longer right so there's another 1000 feet of production at 50 bucks a barrel okay that's real money. Yeah. Right? The short money is on the day rate. Hey, I'll cut your days versus that. Okay, that's great. But the reality is when you look at production, what the what what the sole purpose of the operator is to get oil out of the ground yeah. is if I can get more oil out of the ground for you, can yeah. I help you out? Yeah. So how do you find that reception? Depends on the uh, the audience, but you know I think when you talk to the right level, they understand that, right? Like there are certain people in the industry that are graded; uh, their roles are graded by 
the same standard that it was 20, 30 years ago. Well, I'm saying, I mean, you were at, you were at H&P. I mean, you were a company mm-hmm. acquired by H&P before, so you had, this, you had this name coming up and approaching to you know, operators, like potentially get a meeting, oh, a yeah. cold call, right, sure. for example. Sure. What I'm saying is, like, <clears throat> well, I guess what I'm asking is, right, during these times, I mean, you're, you're, you're selling this new software. I mean, how are you uh, – what avenues are you, I guess, going down to uh, create uh, potential potential points of sales? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I've, I've been in the industry for eight years, so I do have some contacts. Yeah, uh, I I leverage those obviously, but I I've been in sales for fifteen years. I, I cut my teeth making cold calls. Like I have no problem sending emails, and I'm look. You can be overly aggressive in those situations, but I feel like most of the time, if you have something good to offer, eventually those people will respond. Yeah. And that's been the case. It might be a, a LinkedIn invitation. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on LinkedIn because I feel like it's pretty saturated with it's salespeople good. and people looking for jobs and a lot more like social media than, than uh, professional networking. So I don't spend a lot of time there, but I feel like if you make the right connections there and you put out some decent content, people will notice. And they'll start to they'll start to respond. It might not be in two months or three months or five months from now, but at some point, if someone's looking to solve a problem and you have some content that might be able to help them out, then they're going to reach out. Yeah, I mean, I, I really believe that's how it works. That's how it's worked for me. That's how it's worked over the last four or five months, and it's been kind of fun to see that come to fruition because uh, it's it's uh, I didn't have a lot of faith in it. What, just dangling the uh, solution? Look, man, I was never the guy that just, like, but but because of timing, right, you had to use the resources you had available. I can't call on these guys. I don't see them at AADE shoots. I don't see them at golf tournaments. You know, so guys that I know but I don't really know, then I may reach out to a contact that uh, they do know and say, "Hey, man, kind of, would you mind introducing me to you know, someone?" So I'll right? pick up uh, lunch. You uh, you set up the you set up the lunch. or not? Just I'll shoot an email. Hey, man, like Zane has some good stuff to say. He's a good guy. Maybe yeah. you should visit with him. So this is your first uh, startup you worked with, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. From, from the ground up. Let me ask you a question. Are you having fun? Yeah, man. Uh, I'm enjoying my time because. What's enjoyable about it? And what's not enjoyable about it? Look, I, I so we're so we're talking to someone that's kind of at, start jumped in a startup company during the pandemic. So I think it's very interesting to kind of get their mindset for those that are out there listening that might have an offer that they're kind of comfortable where they're at right now. So I just kind of want to get his kind of uh, his point, you know, what's a, uh, you know, what, what are you enjoying about it? You know, what, what, what do you wish you knew before you kind of hopped in to make the transition a bit smoother? A lot less conference calls. I enjoy that. Oh man, that's everywhere though, baby. I don't give, well, I don't give a shit. What, what I would say before I left the last one, I was doing seven or eight a day. God, hour each. How beneficial were those seven or eight a day? Well, most of it was internally focused, right? So it wasn't really like we were trying to solve problems or talking to customers. It was a whole lot more about what we're trying to fix, you know, uh, internally. So it was like meetings for the next meeting. Mm-hmm. So we're taking let's plan this meeting, which is fine. Again, I mean, look at a, at a at a, at a well-established oilfield service company and, and to be at a place like that, like that that's necessary. Yeah. You have to look within to figure out, you know, how to solve problems like here. It's more about providing solutions. I'm also involved in a lot more things than I was before, like marketing, like uh, ideation sessions where we talk about like ideation sessions. Well, for those so that, we have listening a, that don't know what that is, go, what is that? We have a director of innovation. Okay. At innovate. Uh, this gentleman's name is Herman Bocanegra. 
Where's he from? He's from Columbia. Nice. Great guy. So you work with an international team. I do. We have how is that? Quite like, a few. We have, how is that? Uh, it's amazing, man. We have an office in Bogota. Uh, we have a sales team there. We have a few developers and a few of our system admins are located there. We have a group here in Houston, uh, which is comprised of some former large oil field service company um, employees. Our CEO, Camilo, he uh, he did 10 years. Uh, was so. he on Digital Wildcats with you? He was. Yeah, I saw that. So he, um, I, th- I think that's got to be such a cool experience to, 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 to have such a international, I mean, how busy. Because, you know, one thing that I learned in, you know, international business, business done differently elsewhere. You know what I mean? It's always done 100%. at a different pace elsewhere. You don't bring up family here. You bring up family here. You br- you don't bring up business first thing. You bring up business first. You always have that mix. So I, th- I think that it has to be such a cool experience, I'd imagine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, I've always enjoyed different cultures. Yeah. I travel a lot on my own personally. That's always been something I've been interested in and something that I really enjoyed doing before the pandemic. But you know, uh, getting you to work. A lot? Yeah, 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 yeah. A couple of international trips a year, on average, and maybe a week at a time. All right. So, you know, for me, it was always nice to uh, to get to see how other people live in other cultures. But working with people from different cultures is also interesting because you get to learn about how business is done in different places. It's not. It's certainly not the same. It's not in uh, in South America and in, in uh, you know Argentina and Colombia they don't deal with the same issues that I deal with in the Permian Basin. Right. But it's nice to hear and have like conversations about what what they do to resolve issues and maybe it, it could be effective here. So yeah, I mean, you know, Herman is is amazing, uh super smart guy, has a masters in innovation from a from a school in Cambridge and uh Masters of Innovation. Yeah, man. That's the thing. Look, man, I don't know anything about that, but that sounds to me like the toughest thing. I can't even decide on a place to go eat, a new he's, place to go eat every week with my wife. He's great. You, we should. Uh, he would be an interesting dinner guest. We'll get him. Okay, let's yeah, get him yeah. for dinner. He then. would be great. He lives not far from here. Okay, nice. I was with him today. I'm probably going to meet him uh, after after we get done here. We'll, Shit, we'll bring, him, bring him over next time. I'd love to meet him. Yeah. So I mean, we we look. There's it's just different. It's a different culture and a different environment, and a different setup, right? The goals are different, right? Yeah. When you go from a company that's been established for a hundred years to a company that hasn't been established for one year, right? It's uh, it's night and day. But at the same time, you have issues, right? Like the corporate issues are much different than startup issues, but you're really just straight. Um, like I said earlier about, uh, you know, being able to get ideas out and to have them come to fruition is right. very difficult in a large company because there are other goals, objectives, and priorities. And a startup, man. And plus people want to fit in a large company, so they don't want to go against the mold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things that happen to places like that, politics and bureaucracy. And I, I'm not saying specific i'm just saying in general at yeah, large yeah, yeah. corporate entities that's how it works yeah and everybody who's been there understands how that works yeah so what you don't have at a startup company is that but what you also don't have is a lot of structure around process and procedure and how things are done on a daily basis hey man hey bro you know how to upload uh, office on your laptop and get it can i <laughs> Yeah, I didn't either. So you said my team guy. For exactly. This. I don't anymore. I used to get a laptop in the mail, and yeah. it had all the shit that I needed on there. Not, on there, not anymore. Now it's like, hey, dude, figure it out. You know, and they all use WhatsApp. 
right? Like, uh, because it's all international. So there's WhatsApp is huge international. I, I talked to my friends from Saudi with WhatsApp. Then, yeah. And so now I've got it on my laptop, and that's how we communicate. And, you know, another thing is, is that it is nonstop. And I'm not saying that it wasn't previously, but I just mean these guys, we're all working towards the same goal. And it's imperative for our livelihood that we make it successful, right? It's different when you have revenue streams that are consistent or that are outside your scope of sales so pretty much so pretty much you have skin in the game now oh yeah yeah so i wouldn't have done it otherwise well let me ask you a question i mean what's your what's your stress level like being uh since when you started this to uh before you comparatively speaking yeah i'd say it's half of what it was before no shit why because it's gonna be all right man Amen to that. I, I like mean, that. Reality is, look, I took this chance and I took this risk because I wanted to provide a better life for my family in the long run. But the reality is, is that it's going to be okay no matter what. I mean, I could be super stressed out and worry about, you know, but I'm not. Uh, How is that going to serve you if you are? If I'm successful? No, stressed out. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's uh, It just adds to the stress around me, and I tell that to my wife all the time. Like, our attitude and our energy is how our house reacts, right? We have three kids. My mother-in-law lives with us, and so right. if we're stressed out, and we're worried about certain things, then the kids, they notice. And that's not what I want to portray. I want to... Uh, to provide a positive outlook and just believe that things are going to work out for the best. I think they will, you know, but I don't, um, I'm not married to anything but my wife. And that includes a job, that includes ideology, that right. includes anything else that comes around here, right? She's the only thing that is the constant, and you know, my family, but... And she's probably the only one to make or break your happiness. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> also very true. Uh, she could definitely put a, a damper on that. But you have the shittiest day at work. You come <laughs> home. It, I, I get it. Oh, I yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. No, I just, I don't. I'd say stress levels is half of what it was, man. Like, there was a lot of unnecessary stress before, whereas right now the stress is on performance. And that performance is on me. And if I'm going to make a bet, well, I'm going to bet on me. Which is I, pretty I, motivating. That's kind of what that's kind of what I did when I, t- when I took a chance over here at CPC. I mean, it's one of those things like bet on yourself. You know, you're only as good as how I mean, big a boy are you? Yeah, right. That's that's kind of how I looked at it. Was again, I had uh, I had won some some things and gotten some praise from some people at uh, my previous company, and it was very nice to have. But you know, put it to use. Like, what are you as good as you think you are? And if you are. Prove it. Try it. Try it out there. So, so saying your your entire relative uh, pertinent career has been around software, mm-hmm. right? Has been, hey, even before oil and gas. I and so you and software. I were you and I were sitting around and talking, and I'm like, man, it's got to be so tough being like a software sales guy. You got to be pretty technical. You got to be this and that. I mean, what's your approach to sales and uh, I guess established relationships? Yeah, so I, I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the most technical guy, which I mean, is mind blowing because you. You've been, been focused on the past technology what, for eight, eight years. Well, eight years for sure, and then I would say another five before that, like yeah. purely technology, software sales. Look, man, I mean, I think sales is, to me, uh, you, th- there's a specific process, and everybody's is different, but I kind of have my own process, and it seemed to work well for me in the past. How I, long did uh, it take you to find your groove? Mm, 
it was pretty easy once I got to outside sales. So I started off inside sales What's for a mutual fund company. So okay. I, I literally worked in like, uh, I had to wear a suit and tie every day. And I worked in a phone bank I where I that. had to make a oh. hundred calls a day. With the suit and tie? Oh yeah, man. Because okay. you were trying to get to the next position, which eventually I made it. But Congratulations. you know, you come in uh, and you make a bunch of calls, but you call financial advisors trying to sell mutual funds, right? They're, they have clients' money they're looking to invest, and you're trying to get them to invest in your funds. Fairly boil, boiler so, room. Oh, Recco. Here's know, my keys. Yeah, you don't dude, believe me? Go fuck yourself. Dude, yeah. that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the phone rings, and they would do things like that, right? They would say, hey, today all inbound calls are open because you had a territory, right? Yeah, you covered – Total, right? Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and somebody so some else covered us. Oh, some days they would go, hey, all inbound calls are open, and whatever you close today is yours. So because just, beforehand, you had to pass that off to that rep. But they would just, they called it uh, organized conflict. And they liked it. They liked the Shark Tank. That is know? such, they a, wanted that to is see, such oh, a bullshit bullet room title. It was organized conflict. It was crazy, man. But yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I started. And I did that for. Five, four or five years. Oh, dude. So, so at the end of you. Yeah, but I was like 23, 24 to 28 or 9. Yeah, but you're still learning how to kind of just shut everything oh, down. Oh, yeah, but you get real sound. aggressive and you oh, get yeah. like, you know, you, you either you either good or you oh. But that aggressive shit doesn't work that well in the, the gas <laughs> no. industry. It in does In any industry. The only time it works, so like, is if you're selling used cars or software. Right, like, and I mean software in the in the sense of software solutions to enterprise problems, not not directly related to oil and gas. Yeah, so so your sales, I mean, so you had to do that type of sales, which would pretty be, that'd be uncomfortable to me. Well, I mean, it's, it's all about like getting getting the door slammed on you, right? Like you cut your teeth on making these calls and people not wanting to talk to you. Right. Okay. Well, that's fine. Like I'll just call the next guy and yeah. you run to them. Well, then you start to learn in outside sales that there are fewer opportunities and you need to make an impact when you get an opportunity. So you have to be focused and you have to be ready and prepared. And I would say, you know, when I started in outside sales was really when I found my groove and how I felt I made the biggest impact. And what's your impact? And it's just about having conversation, you know. Um, I'm very... I keep a very clear line between my personal and my professional life. Right? What do you mean? I mean that. See, I blend. I, I, I blend mine. All so I have professional. I mean, I have friends that I, I work with that uh, I have a professional, uh, you know, uh, agree or you know, I have a professional relationship with. Yeah. But it's still about the work. Like I met you through this job. And while we can be friends and we can go to lunch and we can, you know, we can hang out outside of work. But the reality is, is that I have to still be professional in my role. Right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're paying me for a product or a service, I can't rely on my relationship to keep that. Yeah, I have to rely on performance and being good at what I do and then have trust in my guys on the operations side that are providing the service that I sold. See, that's the hard part about being a sales guy when you sell software and service. No, but you know what, though? I mean, it's, it's not just software. I mean, we had Jonathan Brignac on here, and uh, his podcast, I think, was released on Monday. And we discussed that, too. It's like one of those things like, look— Everyone says this is a great time. Everyone says sales, oh, it's a cakewalk. Y'all do happy hours and golf and blah, blah, blah. But no, I mean, there's there's a certain – you always have to have a certain level of uh, professionalism. 
You know, I mean, because because it's you're doing it's a job. It's well, a job. it's not just professionalism; it's it's performance, right? Yeah, Your but, job yeah. is to generate revenue. Yeah. And if you don't generate revenue, well, then guess what? You don't have a job. Yeah. And I have always been very comfortable with that. Like I've always performed to the level where I felt like I easily justified what I was paid, and yeah. then some. You know, yeah. in a lot of cases, sometimes more than others, depends on the product that I was selling. But right. the reality is, I appreciate the relationships the personal relationships that i make through my work but i also understand that that's a professional relationship how are you getting these professional relationships during times like these though when it's tough when, when it when it when it's tough to get in offices or do lunches or do mm. x y the old the old tricks i mean i don't really have an answer for like a specific way to do it you know, there are certain times whenever I reach out to people that I know and ask for an introduction. Yeah. That's kind engineers of engineers and guys that I know say, hey, look, I've been trying to get a hold of this guy, and I understand he's probably getting bombarded by a million people. But if you could just literally oh, wow. copy me on an email and say, hey, this guy's all right, maybe you should have a conversation. Just an, a warm intro goes so I'm fast. the same way, man. But, like, that's I'll, it. but I, I don't ask for those often. Like, I will bust my butt trying to figure it out any other way but that before I ask for help. Do you start talking personal or you start talking business right off the bat? Or problems that you can solve? I mean, I would start off with a, just a general conversation. More bullshit. Yeah, for sure. How's yeah. it going, man? How's your family? Like, how you guys getting through this thing? Yeah. You know? Kids back in school, you know, uh, same shit. But like, that's what everybody. <laughs> that's, that's what everyone's talking about. What it, it's 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 uh it's like okay, we're we're in this together. Yeah. And then it's hey, you know, I've been working with so and so, and this is something that we've done for them. I'm not sure if you're dealing with the same issues. If not, maybe tell me what you are dealing with, and I'm happy to see if we might have something that can help you out. Yeah. That's it. No, I mean I. I I mean, I'm just thinking about this. I was actually before our interview, I was looking at uh, Innovate's um, um, website and mm-hmm. y'all stuff. It looks so fucking impressive and like flat. Like, like it looks. I mean, it, it seems like an easy thing, not an easy thing to sell, but it seems like a, a, a obviously nothing. Come easy. get some. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing's <laughs> easy to sell right now. But I'm just saying, y'all have done such a phenomenal job on, I guess, uh, 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 the visuals and the content to get it out there. So, what avenues are you using to get that content, the the stuff that I've seen out there? Yeah, sure. To, so. to, to customers. You know, I think there's a lot of technical conferences that are still going on, right? Are so, those still being hit yeah, hard? Yeah, for sure. Year tech. I mean, they're all digital or virtual. So you still getting good uh, participation, though? Yeah. The thing is, is I feel like, you know, I'm sure you've been to Doug conferences and all these other oh, things yeah. in the past, right? But, like, it's, what, 85 90% salespeople? 95 lately. Yeah. So Actually, 99% lately. And you know how operators don't go? Because those 95% of the people were hounding the shit out of them. Oh, about my God. Them. Dude, so... I completely agree. All these Doug conferences, SBE and all that stuff, if you find a customer, you do kind of have to like keep them to yourself. It's like, hey, we're going to go to dinner here, and then we'll go out after. Then I'll let you talk to other people after. But like you, Because I remember back in 2014, 2013, there was customers everywhere. It's kind of graduated where it's, it's just sales dudes. Look, man, they don't want to get bothered. Look, they don't want to get hounded. They don't want to get hounded, man. Like I, I, and I completely understand it. I so get I, that. I think in the virtual, they can attend sessions that they think are, are yeah. beneficial to them. And they do. And then if they have questions, and you can reach out directly to some of the presenters and other people and just say, hey, look, I've noticed that this is a comment you made or this is a problem you're trying to solve. 
we might have a solution. Let's have Let's a conversation. Talk. So I, I think it's actually, I prefer it for one. Uh, two, I just never got a lot out of those conferences. Like the Doug conferences and all that uh, stuff. I mean, we, you know, as a manager, I'd have two or three guys there. I'd spend 20 grand to have a booth. And, you know, I got salary locked up for a week. And, like, you know, everyone, everyone says the same thing. If you just get one customer, it pays for itself. Okay, great. Well, what if you don't get one? I know. And and, late, is, and lately, it's we, been tough to get one. We'd see a lot of customers there, which was great, but they were already customers. So, like, I could have gone and taken them to the best dinner on the planet for less than what yeah. I paid to see them at that conference. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, you know, I did uh, Digital Wildcatters um, about a month or two ago, and uh, I think those guys are onto something good with the platform. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. listen to Colin talk shit about uh, SPE and all that, and and I'm not saying that it's there aren't there isn't value there. I'm just saying I think that the way that we conduct business and the way we meet each other outside of work is going to change. It, it is changing, and you know what? Honestly, you know, people like Colin, like you know, like either like you know, either he rubs you the wrong way, rubs you the wrong way. You know what I mean? Like I will it, never forget when I saw the uh, the first uh, you know LinkedIn video when he was walking around dropping the f bomb. Like, oh yeah, yeah. It, you know, and and I I, I want to say I sent him a message after that, and we connected, and it was like, hey man, I, I feel you. I'm picking up what you're putting down, bro. Like it is refreshing to hear you because look this is the way we communicate and talk you know whether normally, you like it in the industry or not. normally that's it's it's a it's a it's a locker room mentality men and women but both included right both like, it's it's very much across the board oh yeah and so i feel like it was kind of a breath of fresh air and i'm happy for those guys man that they got the backing that but they that, got but, and, but that's one of those but, but moving in that direction i think is what what we're gonna what we're gonna see as an industry and i'm i'm I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, I I, I think what, you know, Colin and Jacob are doing are, is, is is great. It's it's awesome. You know what I mean? I mean, these cats, are, they're funny. They're controversial, which is like, you know what I mean? Hey, if that's your thing, then do but, it. But, you know, just like in sales, though, I mean, I act ridiculous a lot of times. For example, you know, I'll go to these events and I'll either, you know, dress up with American, you know, American flag pants or I'll come in wearing a horse, you know, blow up. I'll do stupid things. I mean, and I'll be silly, but like it's for a reason. You know what I mean? So people, what I think what Colin Jacob are doing, not only is bringing, you know, important people to the table talking about this, you know, the, the new, you know, tech startups and the new startups mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But I actually think I appreciate how they're kind of like, just kind of like, wash and that's the point of this podcast too is kind of let's just wash away the formalities let's get to know you zane on a personal level versus the oh we had a meeting with zane foster the other day and it was great no like let's let's get to know these people on a personal level which i think is kind of it's it, everything's shifting that way well i agree i mean again i, I think you know my opinion is that the industry's going to get smaller you know yeah. if you talk about five years from now ten years from now where we are i think that there will be fewer people doing more work do you like the new, technology. Do, do you like the new industry? You know what's funny? Usually people say technology makes them do less work. But you're saying there'll be fewer people through technology doing oh, more. Oh, without work. a doubt. I mean, just look at automation and other industries. I mean, you need fewer people to do the same amount of work. I agree. I mean, it's 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 not uh so it's how not do, anything new. Well, how do you how do you feel about the new that that new industry? I mean, are, are you anxious, excited about it? What? I'm excited. I mean, I've always been an advocate of technology and helping people be more efficient with their job. I think the issue has been in implementing technology for the last, you know, five years in oil and gas. It's it's been seen as a threat. 
Yeah. Right? What like, do you mean a threat? Oh, well, look, if we use this uh, software to help me do my job better, then I'm not as valuable to the company, and maybe they'll let me go. So do you feel there's been a kind of a, a, a pushback against Oh, I don't feel like it. I know for a fact okay. there has been. Okay. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, uh, you know, you see it on different levels, but I think the people that look at technology as a tool to help them be better are people that are going to succeed in the industry. I think people that look at it as a threat and try to derail certain things or, you know, are, are people that are going to get left behind. Dude, I... Honestly, Zane, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, so so many of these the the huge benefit of doing benefit about doing this podcast. I mean, you hear so many like hot topics or new things or da da da. I think you're exactly right. I think if you aren't moving in the way of technology or adapting technology or taking on new te- or, or learning about new technology or software or whatever that is you're kind of going to get passed up. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if, if you're not using, you know, certain software, I'm, I'm not plugging anyone here, whether it's Corva, whether it's, you sure. know, Innovator, whether you are going to be kind of left behind doing things on, you know, pencil and paper the way we've been doing it. But that's not how you want to comp or that's not how you want to fight this battle for value or efficiency in jobs. So the way I see it, the guys that are, are interested in doing things, the old-fashioned way, <clears throat> are getting uh, fewer and farther between, right? I mean, that's the reality of this this downturn. You know, what's the third one in the last five or six years, right? So, Dude, it's the fucking same one. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, call it that. So say it's been for the last five years, six years. So those people are few and farther between. And I think the younger generation that are you know entering the workforce in oil and gas are looking for outputs. Now, do they need to learn or understand how we come to – the output, absolutely. But if you find a solution that can provide a consistent output based off of science that you agree with and understand, then why wouldn't you have a better quality of life by using that tool? It's change. Because the reality, well, of course it is. People but hate people change. That are, well, not everybody. For the majority. Hey, look, the people that have been doing the same job at the same company for 30 years, fuck yeah, they hate change. Yeah, you know why? That's what I'm saying. Because they like their job. Yeah, that's what I'm they saying. They don't even like what they, they may not like, I say, they may not like what they do, but they like their job. They, they like, like the, the check. Yeah. And that's not enough today. But, the that's, but that's is, what I'm saying, though, is it's, it's, it's how do you get people to, I guess, buy into that change when it's, it's happening whether you like it or not. Well, that's the thing is you don't have to get somebody to buy in because it's going to happen. Yeah, that's I mean, the reality true. of the situation is. It will happen. Look, we've been in this crazy cycle of hire and fire forever, decades in oil and gas, right? Yeah. So in order to avoid that, you have to find more cost-effective solutions for the same tasks that people are doing over and over and over again. You can't you can't just throw people at this and expect it to get better. For one, you have potential error anytime there's human interaction, right? Right. Even if you're data input. You know, whatever, the simplest tasks can be uh, skewed by human error. Right. It's just a part of it. So removing that in a lot of ways can help expedite and streamline, you know, current processes and procedures. No, that's (coughs) – excuse me. That's that's actually a great point. It's not one of those things where you have to bend people's ear to. Well, and look, I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I, I'm, um, I think there should be less people in the industry and that software is going to take – that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is 
There are tools available to do more work with less people. Yeah. If a company is looking to reduce overhead, there's no reason to hire and fire people when you can find consistent solutions to those problems. So would you tell people right now that are kind of they're you know you said you can do more with less people mm-hmm. would you would you tell those people that are kind of sitting there thinking oh shit you mean people that are in the industry now or yeah. people that are looking to get into in, the, in industry? the industry well, well I, first off i i don't know anyone looking to get in the industry <laughs> right now unless it's recent hey look i would say get on board with technology man learn new skill sets like you well know, dude technology honestly i'm not just saying this learn like, how to use it it's gonna be the way of the oil and gas industry whether you like it or not yes. everything i'm learning right now everything i'm hearing from from guests and and articles and everything it, technology is here and it's gonna be here and it's gonna be more relevant to people's yeah. jobs just like the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly. Like, no shit. Like this well, isn't going to be the only industry that doesn't use it. So I've I mean, been calling my taxis with a with a payphone. It's like, well, dude, get an Uber. Yeah. Well, why are you Why are you doing that? You get an Uber on your phone on your smartphone. You know, and I feel like, unfortunately, it, it will be forced on a lot of people, and they won't take it uh, as a challenge to to better. Uh, to, to to have better professional skills and learn new technology. Is that the older generation? You think? Not necessarily, man. I work with some guys that are, you know, have been in the industry for decades, and they're they're happy to learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, they've been doing people that don't want to learn. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think there's more uh, people willing to learn that are younger in the industry because they want to build a career here, where somebody may have already had a full career here. Right. No, that's true. So, uh, innovate's closely related with AI, correct? Mm -hmm. So, how closely is innovate? Connected with Skynet. Well, I mean, actually, that's a subsidiary of no, Skynet. <laughs> son of a bitch. I fucking yeah, no, Skynet's, uh, yeah, that's a part of the uh, corporate structure. We uh, acquired those guys not long ago. Well, Skynet is planning to launch an attack on, I think, uh, U.S. in August 29th, 1997, per Terminator 2. Ow. You yeah, missed I'm not, ter- it. I'm not a Terminator 2 guy. I'm a Terminator 1 guy. One? All the way. Over? Over 2. Okay, even with the Guns N' Roses. The Fat Boy and the whole... Even yeah. with the Guns N' Roses soundtrack, you could be mine. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So what kind of movies do you like? Oh, boy. I mean, we're coming up on time, but I kind of want to talk. I kind of want to like do this. Top, uh, what are we, how, what, how are, are we going to classify these I remember in the fr- way? I remember, the, I remember when I was... I think I was like seven years old, and I remember I was at the Houston Racquet Club before we moved to Connecticut. And I looked at the screen. There was a skull on the screen. The tank went over, and that was Terminator One. And that was before the T one thousand came out. That was the T eight hundred, and that scared the shit out of me as a kid. So AI to me, if I was a customer, I think you'd have to sell me on AI isn't going to launch nuclear warheads to humanity and start the Terminator uprising. Innovate's not. I'll say that. Okay, good. I can't promise. So you don't. Su- you, so y'all don't support Terminator uprisings. No. Well, good for you. Not, not right now, anyway. Good for you. What kind of movies you watch, though? Favorite movie all time? No, that's a tough question. I'm not going to ask not, that bullshit. It's not. It's actually a very easy question for me. So, under all... Okay. First off, I think that's a tough question because it's every... There's so many good movies out there, so you can have a favorite in every category, but the fact you have a favorite movie, what is it? Tombstone. Ooh, that's a great one. That is a great And And uh, the reason is, I remember one summer, my dad had that old satellite, you know, like the huge one. Wait, in the backyard? Yeah, man. Well, you know, this would have been uh, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Wait, you said one of those big ones in the oh, backyard? Yeah. yeah, man. 
Cool. Yeah. Okay. So hailstorm comes through, smashes it. Naturally. We live in the middle of nowhere, so we can't get it fixed. We had a VCR, and we had a few uh, VHS tapes, and Tombstone played all summer long. Well, Tombstone is just a great movie. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I would say, hands down, if I had to pick a fa- like if the, if if someone said you can only watch one movie forever, I think that's it. That'd be go to Tombstone. I think so. I'm a Young Guns guy too. I like Young Guns. First off, I haven't seen Young Guns in decades. Dude, I walk in. I, I just. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want to see that dude, right now. I was Young getting, Guns one and two. Dude, I was getting carpet. I got carpet installed in my house. I walked into the guy's office and he had Young Guns one going on the TV as I sat. And I just sat down. I'm Wait, like, was Lou Diamond Phillips in that? Yes. When he showed the knife to the guy, yeah, the, su- the suit, the Lakota yeah, Dirty suit Steve and yes. all those guys. Wow, Emilio Estevez, too. That was before we got into being a manager at hockey. That's true. With yeah, Mighty, Mighty Ducks. Mighty Dukes. I think, uh, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I love basketball. So how do you spend your free time? Do you watch movies? I do. Do I you mean, work out every day like as much as me? Or what do you do? I don't work out every day, but I've been on the Five hours a day like <laughs> I've been on a kick where I ride my bike a lot. I bought a bike and uh, when the pandemic started. We have a bunch of mountain bike trails in San Angelo. Okay. So I ride... Um, I don't know, 30 miles a week-ish. Cool. I drive, I drive probably less than that because I live two miles away from the office. That shows you how much of a lazy piece of I shit. Do, uh, I do like to work out, man. I get up early and try to get it in. I have a young daughter and two uh, two middle-aged boys, so during the day I just don't have time for it. So I try to get up in the morning, get a workout in. I do, uh, you know, um, I do some head work. I do some meditation to try to just keep my head calm. How long have you been meditating for? Oh, boy. Probably when I started this job. So honestly, so recently. Yeah, so I'd say I, in the last like five or six. Hey, months. honestly, like not getting like I know it's the only guy's podcast. Sure. Like, oh man, meditation. No, but like I, I completely agree with meditation. I meditate as well. I'm just asking about yours. I think there are look, you know, my I don't know, whatever. I wouldn't say advice, but my just say counsel. The way I look at things is you need to find an outlet for stress in your life and i don't care if it's meditation i don't care if it's yoga i don't care if it's crossfit i don't care if it's jujitsu you do something that makes you think and makes you work every day and you'll be happier yeah and i believe that uh i don't i haven't trained jujitsu since the uh the pandemic started but i really want to go back and is that where your boys with the Colin no, well, I mean, we have that in common, and that's kind of, I think, through comments on YouTube or on uh, LinkedIn, that's how we, we connected. I haven't ever rolled with those guys, but whenever I was in there last, I told them that I'd try to bring my gi the next time I came. You should challenge uh, Cole Thompson with Petro Legacy. I'm not going to He's cha- a rancher, too, I'm not going to challenge anyone, I'll tell you that well, much. Well, just whatever, just but uh, wrestle on the ground, jiu-jitsu well, on the ground. Uh, yeah, man, it's a uh, complicated chess, right? That's what they, you know, so it's, uh, with our consequences, that's what. What some people say. But if you want to make the sale, you have to let Cole win. Wow. Right? If he's, uh, you know, blue belt or higher, then he's probably got an upper hand in it. Probably not. Cole's wimp. He's also weak-hearted. And he's not. And he's a listener, so he'll <laughs> listen to this later and just he'll, he'll, well, he'll quote Cole, I hope that. to meet you sometime, and I won't hold any judgment. Based so on anyways, Zana, man, I, uh, what, what, what else uh, am I not bringing up that you want to bring up with me right now? Well, I think that's it, man. I enjoyed the conversation. I, I appreciate uh, CPC for you know having me in. I appreciate oh, you dude. for hosting the podcast. And, and, and honestly, I've enjoyed the conversation. You know, I felt like we did two podcasts today, one before we got started. 
and then and then this one. Well, Zane, uh, I'd love to have you back, man. There's no saying you can't. Next time you're in town, you can't swing by back around. We'll host a little dinner with uh, with some uh, frustmers and have a good time. I'd love to, man. Again, thanks, dude. I really I really appreciate it. I like what you're doing, man. I think you're making a positive impact on the industry too. You're introducing, uh, you know, uh, personalities, and I think it's nice to be able to listen to, you know, people that are influential. Uh, or maybe in my case, not as influential in our industry, Even but it's not. it's nice to hear their opinions on where we are, where we're going, what's working, what's not, and you know, from what I've taken, everybody has a positive outlook. You know, uh, I'm positive about oil and gas. Look, this industry's not going anywhere, right? And I'm proud to be a part of it. Uh, I'm proud to uh, still have the opportunity to work in it, and you know, I, I look forward to the future. Well, Zane, I appreciate it, man. And my only advice is just unplug from the news, unplug from social media, take time with yourself, and whether it's at your outlet, whether it's meditation, whether it's jujitsu, running, going for a walk, yeah, man. take something for yourself. And everyone, I want to thank, uh, Z- again, everyone, this is Zane Foster, the, Zane Foster, the director of uh, business development uh, North America at Innovate Upstream. Again, you can check them out on LinkedIn. You can look at their – so they have a lot of cool stuff out there. And uh, honestly, it's kind of stuff that's kind of – that uh, there was some stuff that I, I was taken back by. There's some stuff that was kind of over me, but they have a lot of cool stuff out there. Not Skynet, so don't worry about any Terminators coming to your office or taking your jobs. If you have any questions for him and myself, you can either uh, shoot me a you know shoot me a DM or something like that, or you can uh, email me at roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Again, Zane Foss, the director director of business development at uh, Innovate Upstream. Um, again, roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Dot com. Zane, I appreciate you coming in, buddy. I enjoyed Thank you, it, man. man. I enjoyed being here. Thanks again, bud. You have a good uh, last quote for the audience? Put you on the spot? Oh, I don't, man. You like Actually, you, got, you know what? Like yeah, so a man you, has, you're a guy with the quotes, it looks a like. A man has two lives, and the, the second one starts when he realizes that he has just one. And uh, I feel like I'm in that position now, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I told you I'm 39, I'm, I'm turning 40. And I think at that point in life, you start to look back and, and uh, not necessarily have regrets, but you don't want to have any moving forward. Yeah, you don't, so, even, you don't even waste the time. Make the best of what you have, and I'd say buy a ticket, take the ride. Amen, brother. I appreciate that. And I like that jacket that you uh, got in Spain that you stole. So, everyone, I appreciate <laughs> Zane stopping by. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>